You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome once again to the Revision Path Podcast, episode 57. My name is Maurice Cherry. We are in the thick of the holiday season. It's my favorite time of year. I love it. Don't forget about our audience survey that closes at the end of the month. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill that out. You'll be entered to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. Now, I did take a peek to see how many people have taken the survey. And so far, there have only been seven people that have filled it out which is not good. I really need to get your feedback so I can continue providing great interviews from people that you want to hear from, have new content, things of that nature. I really need to hear from you. So you can pause this episode. You can stop this episode. Go take the survey. Come back. That's perfectly okay. I really need to get your feedback. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Please fill it out. Can't stress that enough. Now, Before I go into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by James Turnbull. James is the Vice President of Engineering at Kickstarter and the serial author of technical books on topics including Docker, Logstash, Puppet, Systems Administration, and Security. You can follow him online on Twitter at Carter. That's K-A-R-T-A-R. Revision Path is also brought to you by MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. Now, Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa are all right around the corner. Take the hassle out of sending out cards to your clients and customers and use MailChimp. Fire up a template, add in your holiday message of choice, and send it instantly. MailChimp also has this new app for Android and iOS called MailChimp Snap, um, and it lets you send photo-based email campaigns right from your phone. It's pretty cool. Quick and simple. Sign up for your free account today at MailChimp.com. If you've ever registered a domain name before, you know that some companies, I'm not naming any names, some companies can make it a really unpleasant experience, but not Hover. Go to Hover.com, search for your domain, and use our promo code NIA, that's N-I-A, and save 10% off your first purchase. Hover even searches for the domain you want across hundreds of different domain extensions like .me, .net, and a bunch of country codes as well. Hover.com, they've got you covered. Creative Market is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators around the globe. I talked about their Pay It Forward bundle a few weeks ago. You can still grab that, by the way. Lots of good, you know, services and products and things like that. But Creative Market also has a new 12 Days of Creative Market bundle. They just came out with it a few days ago. 91 products for $39. You've only got about a week now to hop on that, so head on over to creativemarket.com and buy it today. Oh, and one more thing before I forget about it. Revision Path is excited to partner with Lesbians Who Tech to offer a special discount for the Lesbians Who Tech Summit, which takes place February 26th through March 1st in San Francisco, California. Now, I've interviewed a few people who are a part of Lesbians in Tech for the show, and they've got a special discount code for you all to attend. Use the discount code LWTREVPATH. That's L-W-T-R-E-V-P-A-T-H. I'll put it in the show notes. You'll get 25% off the cost of registration. Now, don't let the name throw you off. The Lesbians Who Tech Summit is open to everyone. Land a new gig in the new year. Make some new connections. It'll be fun. I'll include information on registration again in the show notes. Okay, now let's get on with this week's interview. I talked with James T. Green, a digital designer and artist who's also created a t-shirt called CSS Black Lives Matter for Ferguson. 
James feels really strongly about what's going on in Ferguson. So when I asked him if he had an obligation to help out with his art, here's what he had to say. It's it's a, it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow um, because you know some people may help out in different ways. You know some people may protest vocally, some people may protest digitally, some people may create projects, some people may um, do sit-ins, some people may do teach-ins, um, some people may not know what to do at all, um, but they can just silently sit and feel their feelings. And I feel like all of those feelings are valid. When I came across the news and I didn't know what to do, I didn't necessarily feel an obligation, but there was something bubbling up inside me that just kept telling me, you got to do something about this. You have to do something about this. This is Revision Path. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. All right. So if you haven't already peeked at the show notes already, my name is James T. Green. The reason I keep the T in there is that it's easier to Google. You'd be surprised of how many James Greens there are that exist on the internet. Some unsavory characters when you do I'm Feeling Lucky, but don't try that, please. I would say that I am a designer and an artist. I do a lot of design work, mostly front end and a little bit of back end at my day job and when I freelance. But after all that, I have a full-time art practice that varies from anywhere from writing to performance art to manipulating digital media as art. So anything from creating art using Twitter, creating art using websites, things like that. So it's pretty versatile. How did you first get into art and design? Were you always sort of like an artistic child? Man, oh man. So I still remember, and this is actually when I talked to my mom recently for Thanksgiving, and she told me that when I was little, I want to say like about five years old, I used to always make these picture books based on current events. So I guess you could say it was part design, part art in a way. And I would just make books based on the things that my dad would be watching on CNN all the time. Mm -hmm. And from then it just kept going and going and going until just about right before college. And right before college started, I decided I don't want to be a designer. I don't want to be an artist. I'm scared of getting a job. So I came into college as an English education major. And then when I realized that I didn't like teaching kids, I decided to just give the art thing a try. Okay, so why did you just decide you didn't want to be a designer if art and things is, is what you're doing now? So when I was starting in school and I was speaking to my advisor and I was pretty much saying, look, I don't want to do teaching. I don't want to do English teaching, mm -hmm. but I really, really want to do art. But I'm scared of getting a job or making money. So then my advisor told me, have you heard of this thing called graphic design? It uses computers and it's kind of like art. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I just like Googled everything about graphic design. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I decided to start off as a graphic design major. And then I want to say my sophomore year of college, I was working in the library at the time. And I was putting away some books, and I passed up a intro to contemporary art course that was happening right outside of the bookshelves. It sounded really interesting, and I saw a bunch of friends in there, and I decided to just leave my job 
and I just sat in in that class for the remainder of my shift. The professor didn't care at all. And I was just really engaged by everything that I was learning in that art class. So I got back to work and I was thinking, man, I want to do graphic design and I want to do art. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I didn't talk to my advisor and I was like, all right, I want to double major. What do I need to do to make this happen? So <laughs> a bunch of credit hours later, I ended up getting skills in both. <laughs> now, you're a part of two artist collectives as well, right? Yep. Can you tell me about those? Oh, yeah, sure thing. So the first one, and actually it's almost three now, I guess I can kind of talk about that. But the first one is uh, through Autotelic Studios, and it's actually where I'm recording now. Hope it's not too echoey for you. But it's a collective of seven artists, and it is a working space. They converted an old storefront out here in the Logan Square neighborhood of Chicago into a working space for seven artists. So I share a desk with my wife, who's also an artist as well. And I work here whenever I'm on the north side of Chicago. The other artist collective I'm a part of is called the Hyde Park Dacha. And they're more of a wellness arts collective. So they do these things called quarterly salons. So every quarter, and I guess you say like quarters kind of land on seasons as you will, um, there's a theme. So an example of the last one was themed on release. So all the artists and the collectives created a piece based on the theme of release. And my art piece was actually a website that I created. And we just present our work. There's some audience participation involved too. Some people perform yoga, some people did live music and performance art, but it's kind of a nice blending way of all these art practices in one place. And how important has it been for you to be part of an artistic community like that? Oh man, it's incredibly important. I mostly find it important because when you're involved in so many different collectives and then you're being involved with so many different types of people, the two practices kind of bleed into one another. So, you know, having a design sensibility, I know how to market my art and then also help out other friends who are artists or help out exhibitions that are looking to you know, design their websites or design materials to send out. But then my art practice blends into my design practice because it just kind of comes out weird. (laughs) I think it's the best way of putting it. Like it's pretty adventurous, I guess you could say my design style, because I'm used to exploring that in my art practice. I got you. Okay. And now currently you are an artist in resident for the University of Chicago Arts and Public Life, uh, that program. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the work that you're doing through that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure thing. So that just started on November 1st, so it's pretty recent. And the cool thing about that is that they are giving me additional studio space. And this is in the Washington Park neighborhood of Chicago. For those that aren't familiar, it's um, on the south side of Chicago. So let's say, like, I'm right now on the north side at Autotelic and then think of the Arts Incubator as two times distance south of here. But yeah, it's sponsored by the University of Chicago and they give me 10 months to pretty much explore anything that I want. So the cool thing is they give me access to all the spaces that are on campus. So everything from gallery spaces to equipment to 
you know, if I wanted to walk in on a class, I could. If I wanted to give artist lectures, if I wanted to give talks, it's pretty much a lot of freedom that's involved with that. And as far as the projects that are on my plate, there's some stuff I'm not comfortable on sharing yet, but there are some things like I'm planning on a video screening series. Um, I'm planning on working on some mobile apps as art and then things that can exist outside of art, as well as just another space to create a new body of work. That piece that I was telling you about for the Hyde Park Dacha, it was actually one of the pieces that I was kind of testing while almost starting the residency, but not really. And that piece was called Cache My Memory. And what it is, is it's a website that allows for anyone to visit it. It lives on at cachemymemory.com. And it allows you to write a letter to somebody that you miss. I originally made it in honor of um, losing my best friend, Brian Hastings to cancer back in April. So I saw this as a release. So anyone can go onto the website, they can write a letter to who they miss and say what they want to tell them. And then everything inside of the fields disappear. So it's not being tracked anywhere. It's not being hosted anywhere. It's sort of like a digital intimate moment that you get to have with this person. So it's kind of like more work like that that I'm trying to explore that kind of blends that line of design and art and shows that, you know, art can exist on the internet. It can exist behind screens. You know, it doesn't have to be sculptural or a painting on the wall, as you will. How did you become an artist in residence? Was there like an application process? Did they select you based on your past body of work? Because I think that there are people that are listening that I think once you mention the freedom and the amount of things that you're able to do, they might be interested as to how this is something that they might be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there was an application process, so that makes it very open to virtually anyone that wants to be a part of it. And I just basically trolled all all the RSS feeds that I can think of um, for things like residencies and all those type of programs and came across this one with a few tips from my friends. And I decided, hey, I'm going to apply for it. And you just pretty much say, what is it that you want to achieve? What is it that you're looking to do? Talk a little bit about your practice. And then they, the committee chooses who you know, would be a best fit. So it's me along with uh, two other artists. Mm-hmm. My studio mate is David Leggett, who does a lot of, I guess you could say like cartoon-based paintings, um, as you will. And he actually shares the studio space with me. And the other resident is Ayana Contreras. And she um, is a sound artist who also works at NPR out here in Chicago. She does a really good podcast called The Barbershop Series that you should really check out. Sounds good. I'll check that out. What is the design scene like for you in Chicago? Because it sounds like you're really involved in a lot of different collectives and groups and things of that nature. So I know like we both met at Weapons of Mass Creation, which is out in Cleveland. If folks are unfamiliar with that, you should check it out. Weapons of Mass Creation Fest. I think it's WMCFest.com. Well, that was located in the Midwest. And just like Cleveland, Chicago's in the Midwest. So if you can guess the kind of vibe that Midwest designers have, that's usually the same kind of vibe that's out here in Chicago. 
everyone's really willing to help out. If you tell somebody you've got this rad idea or you have this project that you're looking to collaborate, nine times out of 10, somebody's willing to help you out in that process or introduce you to somebody else. It's got like a nice big city feel, but then it kind of has a small town feel in a way that everyone's pretty friendly, but at the same time, you can meet somebody new at any given event. And everyone jokes around that the city is so small. Like once you meet one person, you'll (laughs) meet everyone in the community. That and Twitter, honestly. If it wasn't for Twitter, I really don't know (laughs) how I'd meet all these folks out here. Talk to me a bit about the work that you're doing with uh, Tribune Interactive. That's your day job, right? Right, right. Yeah, so so my day job is over at Tribune Interactive. Um, I'm their digital designer. So mostly the work there is advertising-based. So I'll be doing anywhere from building out a microsite for a client to building out email marketing for a client to designing the UI and UX for like a small mobile microsite, as you will. We work with a bunch of other people, so we have like about nine people on our team that all have a variety of different skills. So yeah, it's pretty much a mixed bag for whatever that we do there, but it's definitely digital advertising for client-based work. So designer by day, artist by night, and it looks like you're really able to kind of meld those two worlds together with the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody that's sort of just starting out? I mean, in design, of course, you know, what kind of advice would you give based on your experiences? I love this question because this is kind of a pathway that like I really, really recommend for a lot of people. And the main reason why is because when I started off, I lived in Joliet, which is a suburb south of Chicago. It's close enough where you can get there, but it's far enough where you (laughs) couldn't get there that often. And that's how I got a lot of things started. I was pretty young. I went to school out in Joliet. All I knew was in Joliet, but I knew I wanted to come out to Chicago. So I think the first thing I would do if you were just starting off is build up the skills. I mean, you can talk a big game as much as you can, but if you're not making anything or if you're not like working towards building yourself up, then you're just talking. (laughs) I think the second thing to do is if you have people that you look up to, tell them. Hit them up on Twitter, write a cold email to them, say you want to visit their studio. Usually people will be willing to help, especially out here. If someone is coming from a kind heart and coming from that pure sense of, hey, I really want to know more about this. And you can tell that they're not coming just from that swarmy networking sense. And I think the third thing is just get involved in the community. So anything from joining your local AIGA chapter, which is what I did. And I got introduced to a lot of people out here in Chicago from there while still living in Joliet, doing their mentorship program. Highly recommend that. And just doing things that are outside of that that AIGA sort of plan culture, as you will. And that's like if you hear about the studio that you really enjoy, they're throwing a happy hour, you know, go up to it. You know, if you see something on Eventbrite or Meetup, you know, check it out. Or if you notice a bunch of your friends are hitting up a bar and you see them on Twitter, just say like, hey, can I stop by? (laughs) You know, like I feel like a lot of those things happen just from being genuinely a good person and showing a genuine interest for a lot of people, like a lot of things that are basic in friendship. (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely say that those three things definitely help towards 
me being really, really happy and incredibly thankful for the community that I'm a part of out here in Chicago. I wish my AIGA chapter had a mentorship thing. All they do is bar nights. Really? They don't have a mentorship program? Well, I'm a fairly new member. I just joined in June, but most of the events that I get from there, I either find out about it way or I find out about it like two days before the event, which for me is not enough time Mm -hmm. based on what my schedule is like. So it's like, oh, I can't go. And secondly, they're usually at night when my shows are on and like, (laughs) I'm going to watch my shows. I don't want to go out drinking (laughs) in the middle of the week. You know, it's like on a Tuesday, like the flash is on. (laughs) But I mean, but that's just, that's just me. But I wish they kind of had more events that were around. And I think they're trying to change that for this upcoming year because I don't think they're seeing a lot of participation from the Atlanta chapter. And the Atlanta chapter is a pretty big chapter Mm -hmm. from what I've been told. But I don't see – I talk to a lot of other people from other AIGA chapters, and they're doing a lot more activity than what I see Mm -hmm. from here. So speaking of mentors, have you had any mentors that have really helped you out along the way? Man, (laughs) you want to be here all day? (laughs) I've got so many folks that I can shout out right now. I guess speaking of AIGA and um, mentors, as I could say, someone who I definitely consider as a amazing mentor as far as the design world goes is uh, Charlene King. She's based out here in Chicago. She's a designer at Morningstar. And I was reminded of her because we were just talking about AIGA and she works on the programming out here. And aside from just being somebody who just really gives it to you real and kind Mm -hmm. of, um, I don't know if you can curse here, but you can bleep me, but cuts the bullshit Mm -hmm. out of things, I credit a bunch to her. Just mainly because she's not only talented, but she is someone who looks out for people and I think even sometimes actively mentors without even knowing it. (laughs) And man, I... (laughs) I feel so bad because there's so many different people that I could shout out, but I do have a large, large, large list of all of my role models and people that have um, helped me out on my site, on the resources tab. There's a section that says people that inspire, and it's just this very large growing list of people (laughs) that that have just like helped me out in some kind of way, whether it's I need a ride home and that ride home led to this opportunity or they've sat with me on the phone and I'm like, I don't know what to do with my life. (laughs) Just uh, so many people. How do you get your creativity back if you're feeling uninspired? You know what? I actually have beef with that term inspire. Okay. Even though I'm like looking at my site right now and I have the word inspire on there for that people section. So I might, <laughs> so I might be eating my words right now, but you know, Hey, I'm human. And I feel like inspiration kind of like, I don't think it's something that kind of strikes you as you will. Like everyone thinks of inspiration as like this magical being that just sprinkles onto people and you know, they sit around waiting for inspiration and then you just do something. It kind of just, comes when you're like leaning into the discomfort as you will for me mm-hmm. like i'll be done with my day job and i'm like man i am so tired <laughs> all i want to do is watch netflix and like just get a big bucket of ice cream but then i just kind of think and i don't know if it's inspiration is a word but it's more like desire might be a better word for me but there's like a desire that just 
I want to try something or I want to tinker around with this idea that has been floating in my head while I've been on my bike. So, I mean, there's a lot of times where, quote unquote, inspiration is dried out on me. But (laughs) I just know that if I don't even tinker around with something or even act on it, inspiration isn't going to get anything done. Let's talk about one of your current projects that's going on right now, which is a Teespring campaign. Can you tell me about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we can definitely talk as much on this. So I think when this gets posted, there'll be a few more days to check this out. But I created something on a whim, and it's been based on the things happening out in Ferguson, Missouri. And if you've been living under a rock or purposely avoiding this thing, you know, you can mute me, but I really don't care because it's something important that everyone should talk to or talk about. And it's in regard to the shooting death of Michael Brown. It happened quite a few months ago and not too long ago, the St. Louis County Grand Jury decided not to indict police officer Darren Wilson for that shooting death. And that happened, I was on my way down to the studio in Washington Park, and I just knew that that thing was going to happen. I knew that it was going to happen at 8 o'clock. I was really, really nervous. I just listened to a podcast that I really enjoy called This Week in Blackness Radio, Mm -hmm. hosted by Elon James White and a bunch of other great people, another black podcast that you should check out. And they were talking about this indictment and they were talking about, you know, is this going to happen? Is it not? I was getting incredibly worried. So I get to the studio and I pop up my laptop. I find the live stream. And long story short, after 30 minutes of him dancing around the conversation, they decide not to indict him. And I was, I was furious. I was hurt. I started to cry. Mm-hmm. I literally didn't know what to do. And I, I was just inward. Like, it was about 9 o'clock at the time. I didn't know what to do. And the only person I talked to was my wife when I got home. And the next day, I I woke up, and I was still mad. I was still incredibly angry at the whole situation. I was still finding myself randomly bursting into tears and just wondering, like, you know, like, is this, this the world that we still live in? Like, this is really, really fucked up, you know? And I took a break from everything. I didn't use social media for the rest of the day. I just needed time to myself and turned off my phone, did everything. And I got off of work and I was just walking down the street, actually towards the studio where I am right now. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to go to a coffee shop. I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to write. And, you know, writing is what I usually do to get all my thoughts out. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden, just in my head, this this idea popped up for this T-shirt. Like I just saw just a CSS version of Black Lives Matter, the phrase that has been, you know, spoken through and through from all the protests and everything that's been happening throughout the country. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. I've been saying that in my head for so long. And I don't know if it was because I was just randomly thinking about my buddy Aday Hogue who is another awesome black designer and letterer out here that you should really check out. He had on his Twitter feed, black designer, but instead of black, he had the hex color for it, you know, Mm -hmm. pounds, triple zero, triple zero. And somehow those two things, his (laughs) Twitter bio and the phrase black lives matter. I thought it and I said, 
oh no, I have to make this into something. <laughs> so I ran down to the coffee shop, bought you know the smallest coffee I could think of, popped open my laptop, opened up Photoshop, made up a quick sketch of it, and then texted like three of my friends. One's a good buddy of mine, uh, Rashid Zakat. It's another person you should check out, designer out of Philly. And I talked to Charlene as well, and another buddy of mine, uh, Brent Nepper. And I said, hey, if I put this graphic on a T-shirt, would you buy it? And all three of them were like, yes. And then I said, hey, if this T-shirt goes to Ferguson-related charities, would you get this even more? And they were like, yes. And then I had that point that froze in my head that, you know, I'm sure you've gone through this, like that, that imposter syndrome feeling. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, ah, oh, this is a stupid idea. Like, why are you going to do this? Like, you know, there's much better things. You're going to get a lot of trolls. You're going to get that. You're going to get this. Right, right. And at first, like, I was like this close to minimizing that Photoshop tab and just like leaving. But then I was like, nah, I, I have to do this. Like, if I'm this nervous, then I really have to do this. So I knew zero about Teespring. The only thing I knew about Teespring was I heard Christy Tillman talking about it randomly on Twitter and I was like, oh yeah, there's a t-shirt thing that I can upload a design and I don't have to worry about printing or all that. So I looked that up. I quickly uploaded the design. I just mashed out a bunch of words about how I was feeling raw in that moment and figured out that I was going to send all the profits to the shirt to three different donations and that would be to the ferguson public library to independent black media spaces covering ferguson specifically that this week in blackness media space that i talked about earlier and the remaining amount would be sent to the fundraiser of feed the students of ferguson and i was like okay we'll do this on a a v-neck we'll make it 12 bucks and i'm just gonna put it out into the world and then i closed my laptop and i was like okay (laughs) Let's see what what's happens. Been the, <laughs> what's been the feedback so far? Man, uh, the feedback has been outstanding, which I was incredibly surprised about. It really, really took off very, very quickly. And I was just really, really shocked just by how quick everything kind of happened. I had some friends of mine that retweeted it, and then it got picked up on a few sites. It got picked up on Boing Boing, which was really exciting. It's been all over some other things that I've seen. Of course, when you're dealing with race and the internet, you're going to have trolls. And CSS code, unfortunately. Right, right, exactly. So, you know, I know I had the trolls that said, hey, this isn't validated code. And I had to defend myself saying the reasons why I did it was because I didn't want it just to be recognized by designers. I wanted it to be something that nods to us, but still alludes to what it is. And then you had the people saying... It shouldn't be about black matters. It should be all lives matter. And, you know, just all those various trolls, you know. There's not a hex code for all, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like it's been the mix of, you know, my heart swelling with joy from all the amazing positive feedback and realizing that there's great humans in this really messed up world. But then also dealing with the random troll that will hop up in my Twitter feed and say something about it. And It's just like, it is what it is. You know, I didn't know what I could do at the time. But, you know, if this is a small step, if this is like my small brick, then I hope for this to be. Now, now one thing that I I think is is interesting about sort of the role of art as it has to do with tumultuous times like this is how 
adequately and accurately it can really convey the situation to people that may or may not know a lot about it. And I think one thing that we see that through mostly is political cartoons. You see a lot of political cartoons tossed around on the web and on Tumblr that are kind of in that same vein. And I've interviewed Emery Douglas, who is well known for his protest art Mm -hmm. uh, with the Black Panther Party throughout the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, Um, very, very talented. Do you feel an obligation to contribute in this way? Hmm. I feel like obligation is definitely a strong word because I feel like once you use the term obligation, then it places black people into a monolith. And, Mm -hmm. you know, granted, this is something that does, in fact, affect me personally to the point where it just even hurts my heart to even talk about it. There are some people that don't. You know, there's some people that, you know, still subscribe to respectability politics and think that these young black men put it on themselves. And Mm -hmm. granted, I definitely don't feel that way. But I feel like, you know, placing, you know, stating that something like that is an obligation. It's a hard pill to swallow because, you know, some people may help out in different ways. You know, some people may protest vocally. Some people may protest digitally. Some people may create projects. Some people may do sit-ins. Some people may do teach-ins. Some people may not know what to do at all, but they can just silently sit and feel their feelings. And I feel like all of those feelings are valid. Like when I was coming across this, when I came across the news and I didn't know what to do. I didn't necessarily feel an obligation, but there was something bubbling up inside me that just kept telling me, you got to do something about this. You have to do something about this. And I don't exactly know where that came from, (laughs) but yeah. (laughs) One criticism that I've heard from designers is that design should not be a part of this Mm. in terms of, I guess, raising awareness. And and an interesting thing, I'm part of a a private Facebook group that's called Black Designers United. And we're sort of having the conversation about can design or should design, I guess, be used for educating and inspiring people about social issues such as racism, such as Ferguson, which everyone wholeheartedly agreed that yes, you know, yes, it should. That's sort of one of the purposes and focuses of why people design and create art is to sort of stimulate thought. But then sort of my follow-up question to that is, well, if that's the case, then why are we not seeing more people doing it? And But I think, like you said, it, you know, people have to kind of react to this in their own ways. Hmm. Well, react is probably not the best word. People have to channel those feelings through art and design in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Well, a part of me, like when I hear that, that honestly hurts my heart because it discounts all of the great work that is being done by black designers, artists, and tech workers. I mean, immediately the first thing I think of is the Detroit Water Project that happened with Christy Tillman and Tiffany Ashley Bell. And, you know, they're both designers and, you know, Rails developers. And back when Detroit was turning off water for its residents, they used their talents and their skills in design tech and programming and created a website and a system that allows for people to anonymously pay bills for Detroit water residents. And, you know, that's one example. And then there's a ton of other examples of people either doing lettering projects for charity or any of those type of things. So I feel like, again, like putting 
and I'm not putting the fault out on you, but just sort of the general conversation of why aren't black designers doing X when in fact there are. And again, to answer that question about, you know, what is design and art's role in this? I feel like it can play a role in a lot of different ways. Every single thing that you look at is designed in some sort of way, whether it's a protest poster, whether it's organizing a rally, whether it's the organization website that tells people where the next rally is, as you guess, I guess you can say, those are all forms of design. So those type of small things are, in a way, design helping to continue the conversation, help start the conversation, whether it's indirectly in the background or whether it's more directly in the foreground. So I right. feel like in a lot of ways, design is pushing together the conversation without us knowing <laughs> in this weird kind of way. No, that's a good point. I, I completely agree with that. So who has offered you kind of the most useful career advice overall? We're kind of switching gears a little mm-hmm. bit here. But who's offered you kind of some of the most useful career advice with a lot of the work that you're doing? Because it seems like you move between disciplines pretty effortlessly. Mm -hmm. I immediately think of two people right off the back. So there are two people who I really think of when it comes to their pieces of advice. And the first person was actually somebody who spoke at Weapons of Mass Creation the same time that I did. And her name's Martine Sims. She's a really talented designer and artist as well. And she moves fluidly between those two worlds very, very, very well. And I didn't necessarily get, I guess, like a quotable from her, but I, we had mutual friends. And I reached out to her when I was doing the residency program last year. And it was in regards to this body of work that I was doing. It was a lot of things based off of the stop and frisk movement that was happening a year ago back in New York and bleeding into other areas. So I just needed some external advice. Um, so I was talking with her and she really gave the firm advice of not doing what you think people want you to do. Mm -hmm. So if you're making something, don't try to make something with that other person in mind and just be like a hundred percent real with what it is that you're doing. Like if you're going to lean into what it is that you're doing, you better whole ass it. You better not half ass it and try to like blanket your statement for other people. So she didn't tell me this exactly, but it was a lot of pieces of feedback in regards to that body of work that flew along the lines of that. And then I ended up getting to meet her in person at Weapons this year, which was really nice, after talking online for so long. And then another person um, that gave me some really firm advice is another really, really great creative. She's based out of San Francisco, and her name's Jen Hewitt. Another person to check out. She's great. And it was a lot of advice based on that dance that I am doing in between two worlds of design and art and the important thing of keeping great mental health during that process. Cause it's a lot of time you're doing a lot of things. And she told me that everything will fall into place when you take care of yourself. And I've sat with that <laughs> for quite a while <laughs> because in the end, if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to make good work. 
what has been sort of your biggest asset to success, you feel? I think the biggest thing that helps is that I'm genuinely interested in people. Okay. And that comes into not only meeting new people, but then wanting to work with people and being friends with people. <laughs> you know, okay. like I, I really like to meet new people and I really enjoy cultivating relationships with people that I do have. Like, I hate the word networking because networking is so swarmy. I think it should be described as you're meeting new friends, honestly. <laughs> so I think that's like the biggest thing I have. Okay. And that paired with just like an unnerving curiosity that really just festers inside of me that causes me to just try new things. And like those two things paired with one another has been leading to some good work. So I've been pretty happy with that. If you could have any do-over at any point of your path, what do you think you would use it on? Ooh, all right. All right, I got a good story for this. Okay. So this was earlier on in my career. You know, like we said earlier in the pre-show, like nothing is really off limits. So earlier on in my career, I was a, I guess you could say a young buck, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do in this world okay. and not knowing, long story short, not knowing the difference between copying and inspiration. So what ended up happening was there was somebody who I really looked up to out here in the Chicago design community. And... I really liked their work. I really liked everything that they were doing. And I found myself as I was working on my practice and building up sort of my name and my brand for myself, uh -huh. I was, in a way, becoming way too inspired by this person. And luckily, like, this person was just such a kind-hearted person and emailed me and said, hey, like, I know you're new to the community. I know that you're you know really excited and everything but i just noticed some things that you're doing are a little too similar to what it is i'm doing and rather than you know taking the rage route of publicly shaming that person cultivated a relationship with me okay. and saw what it is that i was doing and realized that you know this is something that happens for someone who's young in their field and gave suggestion and I remember that moment at every given time. And it's funny because when that comes around, I had to give that same advice to someone else. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, you know, someone was making some things that were a little too close to mine and I had to give the same advice. And thinking back, like, I know I was super young, super eager, but there's some things that you had to learn the hard way, I guess. And... I don't really know if I do a do-over because I learned a valuable asset, and not only when you come across a conflict to treat that person as a person, but also realizing the key, key difference between copying and inspiration. So, yeah, I don't think I really answered a question, but <laughs> I... No, I that, that, that works. We'll, we'll go with that. No, we'll go with yeah. that. That's good. That's yeah, good. we'll go with that. Where do you see yourself the next few years? Like, say the next five years or so. Hmm. So, next five years, I will be... I will be 30. So by the time I turn 30, there are some things that I have lined up. I've got a book coming out soon. It's in the process of oh. still being written. Um, okay. That's about as much as I can talk about it right now. <laughs> All right. But 
that's the biggest thing. I can't wait to be a, an author, which is really, really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I think the biggest thing, aside from finally having that occur, is I just want to keep exploring. I just want to keep seeing what it is that, you know, where my imagination takes me. I'd love to learn more skills. I'd, I'd love to have my own mobile app out soon. You know, those like all those various little projects that you've been working on for years and years and, you know, you finally see them in fruition. I'd love to do more residencies. I'd love to have a residency in a different country. I've never been out of the country. Hell, I'd like to go out of the country. <laughs> you know, I just want, I want to have more and more, excuse me, experiences um, that will build my imagination and my practice and can continue to meet great people. <laughs> Well, sort of speaking about going out of the country, if there's anywhere outside of the country, where would you want to live? Oh, man. I think, honestly, I would love to live in the UK. Okay. Just because, I think partially is because my wife would really love to visit that space. So I want to see what the big deal <laughs> is. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be a really great place for me to just kind of spread my wings and be dropped in an area and a culture I know zero about. <laughs> you know, I think you can... Well, only... the, the good thing is they speak English. Right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> so that works out in my favor. It's like nice training wheels before I become more <laughs> adventurous. But, oh, uh, yeah, that would be great. Right. Well, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Oh, man, I am all over the Internet. Um, I think home base would definitely be jamestgreen.com. Um, it's where you can find out about all the things I have coming up, whether it's speaking events, whether it's you know being on other lovely podcasts such as these. Um, <laughs> I, of course, have a Twitter feed like everyone else at underscore James T. Green um, because the person who had James T. Green just won't give it up. So we'll roll with that. And I'm at underscore James T. Green on all the social things for that. On my website, I also have a newsletter that I've been doing weekly for just about 50 weeks. But then as we record this this day, I dropped off to more of a sporadic schedule just for my mm -hmm. own sake. I write on a topic I feel and then I share links that I find interesting and as well as I have a podcast, too, that you can subscribe to on that very same page. Okay. It's very, very early, but it follows along the same lines of that newsletter. And definitely made for folks that you know have a little bit too much email and would rather hear my voice instead. <laughs> so, yeah, if you see me in any of those places, you can find the links to everything else from there. So, yeah. What's the name of the podcast? Is it, is it available or is it only for subscribers? The name of the podcast is called The Studio Visit, and it's super, super early. There's only one episode, so I only have hosting through uh, SoundCloud's uh, beta hosting service, so it's mm -hmm. not on iTunes yet. It's Again, it's something that's in the work, so who knows? By the time this comes out, things may change, but, but I know you can go to that section of my website. It's jamesgreen.com slash The Studio Visit, and you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice with that link all right well james t green thank you so much for speaking with me this evening talking about the work that you're doing definitely for the people that are listening go ahead and cop one of the shirts before the campaign ends or do you think you'll you'll re-up the campaign after this you know what i've been getting a lot of good feedback and 
I'm thinking I'm going to re-up the campaign. I've been talking to some folks that uh, do independent printing, um, mm-hmm. see if I can do this outside of Teespring, get some hoodies, get some larger sizes for us uh, fellow bigger folks out there, and get some things for other folks in the cold. There's been some requests for hoodies, prints. I'm thinking that this is going to live on beyond the Teespring campaign. Awesome. Sounds good. Again, thank you so much for talking with me and just sharing all the work that you're doing and sharing your knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks again for inviting me on here. And that's it for this week's show. Thanks to James T. Green for a great conversation. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about James's work, including the CSS Black Lives Matter for Ferguson shirt at the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. You can also check the show notes for that 25% discount code that I mentioned earlier to the Lesbians Who Tech Summit. Once again, don't forget about our audience survey, revisionpath.com forward slash survey. Fill that out. You'll be entered for a chance to win a $100 Amazon.com gift card. The survey closes at the end of the month, so go ahead and take that today, please. I need you to take it. Big thanks to our sponsor for this episode, James Turnbull, and to our other sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider for entrepreneurs and small businesses, and they also support the design community. You can check them out at MailChimp.com and sign up today for a free account. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code NIA, that's N-I-A, at checkout. Lastly, there's Creative Market, where you can get graphics, fonts, images, themes, and more, starting at just $2. If you're listening to this episode on a Monday, then you can head over to creativemarket.com and pick up six free products from their shop. Really good stuff. Everybody likes free, right? This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps get new listeners, helps more people find out about the show. And like I said, I will even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level to show your ongoing support. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.